hope everyone is going well this morning as we uh, worship and praise our Lord and Saviour. And uh, as always, so anyway, sorry, my name's Andrew uh, and I'm one of the elders uh, here. And of course, it is always my absolute privilege to open up the Word of God um, with all of us this morning. And, and this might be a bit of a strange way to start, actually, because I just want to acknowledge the reality that um, <clears throat> whether it be here on a Sunday morning, whether it be during the message or just simply during the worship time, um, it is okay to actually feel the weight of your sin. Um, <clears throat> and, and that couldn't even be at home, in your own quiet time. Or, or in your own prayer time with God, it is okay to feel the weight of your sin. And the reason it is a blessing, actually, to feel that weight is the joy that follows that. When, when uh, repentance and forgiveness is found in Jesus, well, then the weight is lifted. And we, we worship and we praise our Savior because He bears the burden of our sin, Yes? Yes. Okay, this morning um, we're looking at First uh, Peter two thirteen to seventeen. So you can turn there, um, so that you're ready when we get there. Uh, and and the reality is, this is a continuation of last week's message. It comes under the heading of uh, a call to do good works, and and a big part of that call in doing good works is that we should submit, okay? And, and it is a bit of a contentious topic this morning, uh, the, the call to submit to governing authorities. And, and in the weeks to come, Peter is going to be leading us through um, several different scenarios and contexts as to what it does look like for Christians to submit, now, before we dive into the passage, I do want to highlight an obvious, I think it's obvious, is, is there's characteristics and, and character traits within our community and no less in our church here. And very simplistically, I want to just highlight uh, those character traits. Now, some of us, uh, there are those of us who love rules and regulations, yes? Like, policies and procedures. Oh yes, the black and whiteness of rules and regulations. Uh, and, and seemingly, then there's a desire to uh, uh, adhere to those rules, adhere to the letter of the law. Now, I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying, hey, it's there. And you'll know if you're one of those people. And you'll know if you're not one of those people because you'll be thinking of someone who is that. And it's not you, right? Um, but then there's the flip side. There's those people who view those same rules and regulations as, as just simply a, a best practice guide, right? Um, I will exercise my free will, and in fact, I, I don't feel I need to follow the letter of the law. And then a third group is, is just apathetic to both. Like, oh, yeah, I'm, e I'm happy to flex, I'm happy to comply, I'm not sure what the big deal is. It just doesn't phase us. They're the three very simplistic groups of people I want to highlight. But 
just to undo everything I just said, in reality, there is one group. There is one group of people. There is one nature, and it is a rebellious nature. As shocking as as that is to the rule followers, yes, you have a rebellious nature. When it comes to living up to the standards of God, as Sam pointed out last week, our default setting is our sin nature, which is a rebellious nature. And and if we take a quick break from the fight against that nature, uh, we very quickly lose ground in the battle. So the unifying factor, and Lord willing for all of us as believers, is the reality of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, yes? If you have strayed from the gospel as your primary call and foundation, well then potentially you're actually on the wrong side. Peter has been leading us through Uh, who we are in Christ as Christians. Right from chapter 1, the reality is that that identity that we have in Christ is what governs our conduct and our love for one another. First and foremost, one another as brothers and sisters in Christ was chapter 1. Now, chapter 2 is basically a repeat. We're starting with... Peter emphasizing who we are in Christ. We are chosen by God. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a possession for God, uh, for God. We are the dwelling place of God in the Holy Spirit. We have been brought from darkness into His marvelous light. Amen. Yes, absolutely. Praise the Lord. So again, the fruit of that reality, of that foundation, is that our conduct and our love for all people is on display. Not only Christians, but non-Christians. Because they have been made in the image of God, just like you and I. And Lord willing, in His good timing they too will be brought out of darkness and into this marvellous light of Christ. So let's just pray first um, before we get into our text. Father God, we we just want to thank you and praise you. Thank you for for giving us your word. Lord, it it is a a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. Lord, uh, change our hearts, renew our minds strengthen our resolve to be obedient to your word. Uh, Lord, soften our hearts. If we've hardened our hearts against the things that honor you, soften it this morning. Lord, bring us to a place of repentance through the preaching of your word this morning. Amen. Rightio, 1 Peter 2. And I'm I'm actually going to start from verse 11. So we're going to reread last week because... We just want the full context. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desire that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably amongst the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, 
They will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day He visits. Rightio, our passage 13. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by Him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For, if, uh, for it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honour everyone, love the brothers and sisters, fear God, honour the emperor. So I love how Peter leaves absolutely no room for us to pick and choose who it is that we must submit to. Uh, he starts with every human authority. Every, not some human authority, every human authority. And then he goes straight to the top of the tree, highlighting the emperor as supreme authority. And, and it's not as if uh, Peter is ignorant to the reality of uh, God-hating, Christian-despising, tyrannical rulers. Okay, we can't just go, well, Peter obviously doesn't, just doesn't know how bad it can get, right? No. The current ruler of the time, the, the emperor that he is actually highlighting here, is Emperor Nero, who was, at power, who was in power at the time. And what do we know about Nero? Well, Nero loved his garden parties. And I discovered somewhere else that he was an avid chariot racer, loved racing chariots. And so for him to be able to have his garden parties at night and for him to be able to continue racing his chariots on into the night, he would dip Christians in tar and burn them like candles. So he could do that. This is who God, through Peter, is calling us to submit to. The most vilest of tyrants and their henchmen being the governors that he institutes, as it says there. But as, as Romans 13 verse 1 states... Since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that, in fact, exist are instituted by God. So why is it that God would put in place such evil rulers? Well, it says it right there. It says to maintain order, punish those who do what is evil and praise those who do what is good. So if there was no governing authorities in the world, society would plunge into complete and utter anarchy. And, and, it's, and, and where it says there uh, that they would be punished for doing good or punished for doing evil, is, is that doing good, is that in the eyes of God or is that saying in the eyes of the emperor? Well, in the context of this 
uh, as it's written, it's the, in the eyes of the emperor. It's the governors that the emperor puts in place to bring about order. So as Christians, when, when we do what is good in the eyes of God, well, we shouldn't be surprised when we get punished for it, because in the eyes of the emperor, it's evil, right? But let's just take a breather, you know, it's been heavy to this point, right? But let's just take a, a breather and we'll just take a few notches back from evil tyrants like Nero and let's just get our heads around um, our context today, okay? So we have an Australian government and, and uh, in, according to scripture, they have been placed there by God, right? And so we have laws that are put in place for the good of society and, and for social order. And a really simple example that we can all relate to is our road rules, right? So they are, road rules are put in place for, yes, our own personal safety, but of course for the safety of others. And, and I'm speaking from experience here because I have quite the history with traffic police, right? Not, not in, probably not so much in the last 20 years, but uh, in my late teens and early 20s, um, this is how bad it was, right? I lost my license on my learners. <laughs> yeah. And it just didn't get better from that point on. But every time I, I broke the law, I was punished for it. And so here we have the biblical example. Those that do what is evil will be punished for it. And in the eyes of the emperor, I was doing evil. I was speeding. And it's not like I could go, ah, I accidentally. No, I was intentionally speeding. I loved it. I did. And you know what? It hasn't been until I was preparing this message that it dawned on me that I was dishonoring God by breaking the rules, as fun as it was. And, and it all really ended when I, I finally bought a, a fast motorbike and was just shy of going to court for breaking the speed limit, right? And I think that's maybe like 40 k's over the speed limit. But thankfully, the policeman showed me grace and just took two k's off what he recorded me so I didn't have to go to court. But again, I lost my license. And that was kind of the moment I went, oh, okay, I need to actually stop. Not because I wanted to honour God, mind you, because financially it was really quite painful. It was punishment for doing what was evil. Now, why was... Oh, sorry. And so this is... I think this is the general... Uh, overarching principle that Peter is getting at here is that um, even though my example was a really terrible witness for God, okay, I was not a good law-abiding citizen and this is what Peter is getting at. As Christians, 
in general terms, we should be known for doing what is good, yes? People in our community should recognize that we are Christians because we are good citizens. Because we choose to display a submissive nature and abide by the lands of the law, uh, the laws of the land. Uh, now, why should we submit to all governing authorities? It tells us, for the sake of the Lord. For the Lord's sake, we should have on display a submissive nature. Because ultimately, our heart's desire, if we are born again, He has given you a new heart, you are a new creation in Christ, our desire is to honour the name of Jesus. We are His representatives, Jesus is our Lord, and for the Lord's sake, we should desire to submit. He is our conquering King and we should want to honour our King by the way we submit and display a submissive nature. Submission is not a foreign concept or calling in Scriptures. Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of fear of the Lord. Hebrews 13, obey your church leaders, okay, it says leaders and submit to them, but it's referring to eldership, pastors, since they are keeping watch over your souls. Titus 3.1, remind them to submit to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. And Romans 13, 1 and 2, which I mentioned earlier, let everyone submit to governing authorities since there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's commands and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. Oh, that is serious stuff. But you know what? I have that rebellious nature that just says, I don't want to. I go through those roadworks and, and all they've got left to do is put on the jolly white lines and they want me to do 60. Oh, pigs will fly. You know? It goes against the grain of our sin nature. Now, you might be thinking, look, Drew, you're just going way too hard here. You know, we, we could translate that word submit to, you know, it, it really just refers to um, respect. We have to, yes, respect our governing authorities, but it doesn't equal obey. Well, that's not the case at all, because then, then we can go and water down all the other scriptures that says, obey God. James 4, 7, submit to God, which equals obey God. We can't be tempted to water that down and say, well, I'm happy to, to respect God, but I, I'm not going to obey God. No, that is a rebellious nature. 
Um, so su- submission and obedience, they, they go hand in hand, right? So as Christians, we will agree, I am sure, I am confident that you will agree with me on this, that absolutely we want to submit to and obey God. Yes, we do. Yes, that was your chance to respond. Yes, we do. Absolutely, Drew, you're right. As believers, we want to submit and obey God. And so, if God says that we must submit to governing authorities, then we must, right? But herein lies this genuine tension that there is between what it in fact looks like to obey and submit to God, yet likewise obey and submit to governing authorities. And it begs the question, does submission to governing authorities equal, no questions asked, Submission and obedience? Well, no, it doesn't. Of course it doesn't. Why? Because God is our master. He is our king. And first and foremost, we must obey God. And if a law came out tomorrow that says you can no longer worship God, well, then we have to make a choice to obey God. Now, would that come with a consequence, like breaking the speed limit? I'm sure it would if they imposed it. Now, for the sake of honouring the Lord, as it says, do we then disregard all other laws, like as if to say, um, government, you have pushed me too far. That's a bridge too far to tell me I can't worship God anymore, so I'm not going to follow any of the laws. I can see that you dishonor my God, and that's it. I've written you off. No, that is a rebellious nature. And in Christian terms, that must be put to death. Last week, we saw in verse 11, submit... Uh, sorry, uh, abstain from sinful desires and seek to conduct yourselves honorably amongst non-Christians. So whereas and as much as we possibly can, we are called to submit and display a submissive nature and there's purpose behind that. There are plenty of examples throughout Scripture. There's, there's heaps of examples of this where there's a choice that's made to obey God and these examples actually help us to answer the question, well, what does verse 15 and 16 in fact look like? Let's read it. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. So the first example uh, is, is the three amigos, right? In the Old Testament, in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Abednego, Interbedigo, something like that. And 
So a law was given by the king that they were to, and it was right across the board, everyone included, that they must bow down and worship this gigantic statue of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now that law directly opposed the law of God, where it says, you shall not worship any other gods besides me. You shall not bow down and worship any other gods. And so these three God-loving, God-honoring men chose to obey God full well knowing that the punishment was a fiery furnace. It wasn't a surprise what the punishment was going to be. And so they chose to honour God. Now let's have a look at their heart's attitude because that's what this whole thing really revolves around is your heart's attitude. Did these three men, by obeying God and receiving the injustice of the furnace, did they fight back? Did they resist? No, they did not. Were they fearful of the king? Well, obviously no, because on this side was a giant statue and on this side was a giant furnace. And so, uh, pathetic as that is, of the king's part, he was forcing everyone to bow and worship him, not because they loved him, but because they didn't want to be crispy pork, right? They didn't want to face the punishment. So, out of fear they would bow. So, no, they did not fear the king. Did they willingly receive the unjust punishment? Yes, they did. They willingly went into the flames for the Lord's sake, because their desire was to submit where they possibly could. Could they bow? No, they couldn't. Could they receive all the unjust punishments? Yes, they could, for the sake of the Lord. Not out of their own desire of comfort, not out of their own sheer will of rebellion, but to honour the Lord. I love how these three respond to Nebuchadnezzar before they went into the furnace. He, he questioned, questioned them and said, what God could possibly rescue you from my power? And they responded, King Nebuchadnezzar, we, we don't need to actually even give you an answer. But if our God does exist, then he can rescue us from the furnace. And he can also rescue us from your power, O King. But then they say, even if he doesn't rescue us, we want you to know that we are going to honour our God. We will never bow and worship your gods or worship your statue. And wow, didn't that enrage in the king? He's like, stoke that bad boy seven times hotter just to increase the, the fear or the punishment, you know. But no, they went in and what was the result? It silenced the ignorance of a foolish man. 
And when he saw that God delivered them from this punishment, they delivered, he delivered them from the power of King Nebuchadnezzar. And what did the king respond with? Blessed be to the Lord of these three men. And he put all sorts of new decrees in place to protect the God of heaven, the God, the creator of all things. Daniel and the lion's den, almost the same scenario. A law was brought out to say, well, you can no longer pray, but the difference is it wasn't for the arrogance of the king. No, the king loved Daniel. But Christian haters, God-haters, slipped a decree in front of the king and said, hey, you need to sign this. Can you sign it? And he signed it. And so once the decree is made, it can't be taken back. And so, of course, Daniel, being a God-loving, God-honoring man, disobeyed the law that said you can no longer pray to God. And Daniel received the punishment that was due to him. He was thrown into a den of hungry lions. He continued to be faithful, praying to God, and he was caught. So just in these two examples alone, we can see that uh, God's will is at play, because we know that Daniel did not get torn to bits by the lions. He again was rescued by God from the lions, which in turn was God's will to what? To silence the ignorance of fools and point to the mighty power of God by their willingness to be submissive. That's our call. Through our submission, Lord willing, He will use that for His glory. What they intend for evil, God will turn around and use it for His good. So even though we obey God, which brings about a level of persecution as Christians, we then get we then get labelled as evildoers because in the eyes of the emperor we are doing what is wrong. But it, silenced the, the, it silences the ignorance and foolishness of those people. And the fruit of submissive natures is in verse 12, they will, uh, sorry, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day He visits. Amen? That should be our desire. This is how we are called to as believers. This is who we are called to as believers. And we are because of Christ. We are free. It says there, we should submit out of our freedom. We are free in Christ, which means we are free to submit as free people. We are strangers and exiles of this world. Our desire should not be that we fight tooth and nail for our earthly freedom. No. We freely submit. Not out of fear of persecution or punishment, but out of our genuine love for our Lord Jesus, we submit. 
So when is it okay to rebel? Never. It is never okay to rebel. There is no example in Scripture that advocates rebellion other than pointing out the rebellion of your own heart towards God. And any examples that you are thinking of right now, you attempted to label them as rebellious so that you can justify the rebellious nature of your own heart. The fact is, it is a choice of obedience always. We choose to obey God, not a choice to rebel against governing authorities. Acts chapter 5, Peter and the other apostles, they're told, they're brought in by the religious leaders, people seen to be lovers of God, right, they're brought in and they are told, don't go around using the name of Jesus. Don't go spreading the gospel. And Peter and the other disciples responded in verse 29. We must obey God rather than man. So just because we make a choice to obey does not mean that it automatically defaults to that I am choosing to rebel. Okay? And if you are governed by that desire of rebellion, well then you are living in sin. And you need to do something about it because it is dishonoring God who you claim to love most. Sort it out. And like I said at the beginning, it is a blessing to feel the weight of your sin. Because without that weight, you will not come to God. You will not bow your knee before Him to ask for forgiveness because you don't comprehend what sin really is. The sin nature will thrive on in either your ignorance or your pride. Hasn't Peter had a clear turnaround? I find it ironic, but not really, that this is the man who first in the Garden of Gethsemane drew the sword when they came to arrest Jesus, probably just flailing it around, you know, and off comes the man's ear. And Jesus says, whoa, whoa, Peter, put the sword away, brother. You're going to hurt somebody. No, if you live by the sword... You're going to die by the sword. Jesus rebuked him. And now we have that same man, Peter, imparting to us today to put away the sword and to submit as free people, not using the freedom, freedom that we have for evil, there is no call to rise up and revolt against government. That would completely contradict what he's telling us here. Now, he is saying, submit to your governing authorities. 
for the sake of the Lord. We are God's slaves, and, and by being God's slaves, we are going to serve Him by serving and submitting the most vilest of tyrants. We are called, we are commissioned, first and foremost, to go into the world and preach the good news of Jesus. We are to disciple them. We are to baptize them in the name of the Lord, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are not called, we are not commissioned to advocate a, a like as if a heaven on earth scenario, like a, a earthly utopia, where by ridding it of tyrannical rule um, and rebelling against that, we can, we can finally live in peace and harmony. No, not at all. You are fighting for an earthly kingdom, if that's your attitude, where you should be concreted and cemented in a heavenly home. There is nothing to fight for here apart from honouring and glorifying God and pointing people to Christ. We should want to take those people that hate us to glory with us. We shouldn't want, we, sh we should not have an attitude that says, well, be done away with them. They hate me, I hate them, they can go and rot in hell for all I care. Oh dear, no. No, we love them. And Lord willing, through my good works, they will see the Lord and worship Him. Yes? Honour everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Fear God. Honour the emperor. Honour everyone. Honour the emperor. They go hand in hand. I know in the text they're separated, but it's the same principle. But you notice that it doesn't say, fear the emperor. So it doesn't matter if, if it's a homeless drug addict on the street, or, or the most ornate, awesome king. We are to show everyone honour, because we have all been made in the image of God. So if you happen to bump into a politician down the street and you cannot stand his policies, right? You label him as a God-hater. And he extends his hand of greeting. You want to extend it back, I tell you what. That's what it's saying here. Show them honour because they're made in the image of God. Don't be so arrogant to think that you are better than somebody else. Loving the brothers and sisters, that's not your own family members, that is brothers and sisters in Christ. There is a special mention of that and it's all through Scripture that we should love one another. Why? Because they will see in John 13, 35, 
They will know that you are my disciples, okay? They will know that you are a follower of Christ. They will know that you are a genuine believer because of the love that you have for one another. So it's not talking about a tolerance. Well, I'm happy to tolerate Kelvin. No, I love Kelvin. Do we always agree and see eye to eye? No, but I genuinely love Kelvin as a brother in Christ. We're not called to just grin and bear one another. No, we are called to actually eagerly outdo one another in showing honour to one another. Are we doing that? Are you dishonouring the name of Jesus by holding a grudge against another brother or sister? Is there a level of hatred and disdain in your heart for another brother or sister? Well, don't continue to grieve the Holy Spirit any longer. Go and sort it out. Be united for the sake of Jesus. That people around you will see your love. Someone might actually know out there in the community. Someone might know your grievance that you have with somebody else. And and when that is all resolved and then there's genuine love again, well, Lord willing, they will go, Crikey, how could you forgive that guy for that? Well, it's because of my love for God. I will give praise to God, not because, well, you know, I'm a good person. No. You are who you are in Christ. Praise the Lord for the things that we cannot do in our sin nature. And our last imperative to wrap it up. We are called to fear God. Put God in His rightful place, church. God is sovereign. God is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is ever-present. We need to put Him in His rightful place. But in that knowledge of who God is, does not, as believers, reduce us to a cowering mess in the corner of fear. No. The fear is talking about an awe-struck reverence, okay, that God Almighty, God the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, chose me, oh my goodness, God chose me and he called me out of the darkness of my own sin into his marvelous light of his grace and mercy. That's what a reverent, awestruck fear looks like. Which then leads our hearts to a genuine heart to worship Him. To submit to Him, to obey Him, and in turn put to death my rebellious nature. Allowing us to submit to all for the sake of the Lord. So if you have to, if you have to make that choice to obey God, 
do it for the sake of the Lord. You should not want to disobey. So that when you're questioned, you can say, I, I genuinely do not want to disobey. But I have to because I desire to honour God first and foremost. That is the attitude that Peter is highlighting. I'm going to stop there. Let's pray together. Father God, it is very confronting. Your word is confronting, but it, it, it is, like I said earlier, it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, convict our sin nature so that we can experience your grace and your mercy and your love through our repentance that we would receive your forgiveness and, and the weight of our sin would be lifted off our shoulders. Lord, through a desire to honour and glorify you, help us to submit to our governing authorities, which at times is obvious that they do not honour and love you, which puts us at odds with our governing authorities. But Lord, help us where we can, as much as possible, change our attitudes of rebellion to submission for your sake and for your glory. May God be honoured and people see your goodness. Amen.